Turn your Bibles to Romans. I'm just kidding. Oh, just kidding. No, turn your Bibles to Mark. Mark chapter 1. Okay, Mark chapter 1. As you're going there, uh, we are starting a new series today in Advent. The title is Return of the King. Okay, and so yes, today is intro, and then the next three weeks we're just going to watch the trilogy. Okay, should be fun. No, Lord of the Rings. Anybody ever seen it? <laughs> uh, seriously though, if we showed that, not on Sunday because this is church, um, who would watch it? Right, I know, that's right. How many people are going to give next week above and beyond their tithe? <laughs> oh, that's, that's telling. Okay, perfect. Anyway, uh, so we start this new series called Return of the King today, and it's a focus on Advent, right? It's a focus on Advent. And here, let me give you a brief history of Advent. For a long time, Advent was a reflection on Jesus' first coming, right? So Jesus came, the Advent, he advented, he came into this world, and so the first Advent, the first celebration of it was a reflection on that, was looking back saying, man, thank God you came because we were waiting and waiting and you're finally here, and that was that, Okay. There was a shift, okay, in the church, where then they began to look at the second advent. They looked forward. They said, okay, I mean, the first one was good, but he's already here. We need to start thinking about the second one because Christ is coming back. We need to begin to think about this, and so where are we headed, right? What's the world going to look like? What is he going to do when he comes back again? Lord, come, please, because this world is so broken. And so so the church had this focus on the second advent. Where we are today, most of the church celebrates advent right in the middle, okay, in, in a reflection moment of what God did in the coming of Jesus initially, the first coming of Jesus, in light of that, reflection and a hope looking towards his second coming, the fact that the king will return, okay? And we celebrate that, we hope for that, we have expectation for that. But here's the reality. When you live in these two tensions, when you live in the fact that he's already come once and done all these things, and you live in the fact that we're headed a direction where he's coming again, there are vast implications on what our life looks like. This means a lot for us as Christians. If we love Jesus, the fact that he's come once, he's coming again, this has implication for us. And he declares in Mark uh, 1, 14 and 15 this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's the story. For 30 years, Jesus just lived his life, right? Hung out with his mom, hung out with his family, was a carpenter, did great work, never made a mistake, always a perfect bench, never hit his thumb. That type of, I mean, just the man, okay? 30 years in, it's like, okay, it's time to go. It's time to get started. And so Jesus' ministry kicks off. He goes, he finds John the Baptist. He's baptized in the Jordan River, brought up. The father says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And he moves on and inaugurates his ministry. His first proclamation to the world as Jesus has begun his ministry is verses 14 and 15. Okay? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The first words that Jesus says to us to say, this is what's going on. This is of first importance. The kingdom of God is at hand. The advent has happened. I'm here. The inauguration of God's kingdom. Now, every kingdom has a king, right? Every kingdom has a king. Our king in the kingdom of God is Jesus. So as Jesus comes to this earth, his kingdom becomes established here, inaugurated here, began here. But we always sit in this tension where we're not fully there yet. 
So you often hear this, that the kingdom is here but not yet. It is here today, present, but not yet fully realized until he comes again. Again, this has vast implications. So today we'll look at um, the first advent. We're going to celebrate the first advent, reflect on that, what it meant for him to come. Okay, Next week... We're going to look at Jesus' kingdom versus the kingdoms and kings of this world, right? The juxtaposition between those two things. And then the week after that, thy kingdom come, cultivating an affection for Christ's return, right? So instead of kind of an apathetic, well, he'll come when he comes, no big deal, that there would be this affection and desire for him to come swiftly. And we'll look at our culture and see why that's so important. And then the last week of Advent, the forever kingdom will gaze at the finality and the ultimate beauty that is the kingdom that is to fully be realized, okay? And so that's the arc. That's, that's <coughs> excuse me, that's where we're going, okay? Now, here's, the, here's, here's what I love about what Jesus says, and he gets this out of the way right in the beginning. The kingdom of God is at hand, okay? Repent and believe. The time is fulfilled. All of this stuff. He gets it out right in the beginning because I think he knows that everyone in the crowd has been waiting for this moment for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, That prophecy after prophecy, prophet after prophet, story after story, king after king, everything pointed to the fact that the Messiah was going to come, but they did not know when. And this is the moment where all of a sudden the veil is taken off their eyes and they see the Messiah is here. Jesus has come. Everything that we've talked about for thousands of years in this moment is revealed to man. What an incredible thing to have been there. So to be a Jew who knew the Old Testament to a T, that knew every bit of the law, every prophecy about this coming Messiah, and here's this guy finally saying, the time is fulfilled, I'm here, let's get this going. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Okay? In Genesis 3, after man had disobeyed God, right, ate of the fruit of the tree when they should not have to. God's doling out his curses, and he says to the serpent, he says, you know what, serpent? Here's what's going to happen. There's going to come a day where the offspring of the woman, that she will bruise your head, and you will bruise her heel. In other words, there's coming a day where the offspring of this woman, whom you've deceived, will crush you, defeat you, and send you away. And so what we have there is the first glimpse of the gospel. And so all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that's how long people have been waiting for this moment in Mark chapter 1. Okay? It's from Genesis 3 to Mark 1. This is the gap of waiting and expectation for God to do something. And then he comes out and he says, listen, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now I think about what that moment, what the expectation would have been for that moment for Adam and Eve, okay? So Adam and Eve knew perfection. You guys get that? Like they knew perfect. So all of our lives, we don't know perfect. We just know kind of okay, some better than others, somewhat broken, somewhat good. That They knew perfection. So everywhere they went, everything was great, okay? There was never a bad note in music, okay? There was... There was never a color that seemed drab. There was never food that wasn't seasoned right. I mean, everything was perfect in the garden. And in an instant, they lost it all. In an instant, everything changes. 
And I think about Adam and Eve and the desire and the craving of their heart for Mark chapter 1. Okay. Will, will there be a day where, God, you will return us back to what we knew? Okay. Will there be a day where you will come back and you will restore everything, the brokenness? And that here, Mark chapter 1 is the beginning of God restoring everything back to Genesis 1. So Genesis 3 to Mark 1, big gap, when are you coming? In Mark 1, we get the promise, it has begun, it has been inaugurated, the kingdom of God is near, it is here, we are going back to the beginning and everything will be restored at the end. Okay. This is what we celebrate in Advent. And I bring this all up because I wonder where do we sit in reality. When we get to this season, what do we focus on? I grew up not a Christian, okay, but I still had the Advent calendar. Okay? Like we would still get that. And I was, I mean, I was rigid. I was like, okay, one chocolate a day until you get to Christmas, right? My wife, on the other hand, was one calendar a day Okay? Until she got, so it was like 25 calendars. But I think we've reduced this holiday, this season, to just that. It's kind of just this season where we get to Christmas. It's this season where we get to go buy a tree. It's this season where finally, oh finally, we can turn on the Christmas music. Okay? If you're not weird and do it before Thanksgiving. Okay? Sorry. That's what I think we've reduced Advent to. When in reality, this season is to be celebrated. Where we as Christians should sit in reflection of Mark 1. Okay, actually, sit in reflection of Genesis 3, Mark 1, and Revelation 21. Okay? So Genesis 3, it all kind of falls apart. It's all messed up, right? It's all broken. We, we missed it. Okay, Mark 1, the kingdom's inaugurated, and then Revelation 21, where we're going, where we're going to be in the last sermon, man, we're, we're there, fully restored, fully brought back and redeemed by God to what it was supposed to be outside of man's disobedience. Okay. Do our hearts sit in that eager expectation? Do our hearts sit in a reality of thanksgiving for the fact that Jesus came? Do we sit in this reality that we have this Jesus, this God, who from the beginning of time inaugurated and set up a plan that would bring him to this moment where he proclaims before everyone, the kingdom of God is here. There is a better kingdom than anything the world can offer. There is a better king than any king that this world can give you. There's a better ethic than any set of laws that any nation could come up with. And it's all in the kingdom of God that he starts here in Mark 1. Okay. So I want to break it down in these three pieces here. Okay. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And repent, repent and believe in the gospel. Okay. She, who's that? Where's she at? How are you? Just want to know I love you. you can, if you're in here, I don't know where you're at. You can stay. Don't, I mean, if you're feeling awkward, sometimes people feel awkward. The baby's crying. Don't feel awkward. You can stay in here. I don't care. Not going to distract me. Okay. Uh, that being said, the time is fulfilled. We just talked about uh, where we at. Kingdom of God is at hand. Okay. The kingdom of God is at hand. So it's arrived. How do we know? The king is here. Now here's the thing. Any king, and we've shared this before, 
any king cares about every aspect of his kingdom. Right? So every king, if you're overseeing an entire kingdom, you care about the economy. You care about job employment. Right? You care about divorce rates. You care about church attendance. You care about it all because you are the king and the ruler over an entire people and nation. So again, all of life is all for Jesus. Jesus, as the king of this kingdom, cares about every single aspect of your life. There is not a piece of what you do or what you think that he doesn't care about because he's the king. So if you're here and you're struggling with with your job, he cares about that. He cares about job satisfaction. If you're here and your relationships are broken, he cares about that because he cares about intimacy and love and healthy marriages. If you're here and you've lost and there's been death and there's been hurt and there's been pain, the king cares because his population are the people that he loves. Okay? And so there's not a square inch of the kingdom of God that he does not care about. And so again, how much of our lives are marked by that reality? Okay. How much of our lives are marked by this reality that there is nothing that we do that he doesn't care about? Do we not just focus on the more spiritual things? How do we let that go? And I think we let that go when we realize that the kingdom of God is already here. We begin to let that go when we realize the kingdom of God is not something in the future. In other words, it's not like we'll get to heaven and then all this stuff will get worked out. No, no, right now, the king of the universe, Jesus, cares about every issue of your life because the kingdom is here today. It's already begun. It's already begun. But there's still brokenness. There's still pain. And why is that? Because we're not at the end. We're still living in a Mark 1 moment, not a Revelation 21 moment. How many people have ever been to Disneyland or Disney World? Okay. So when you go to Disney, okay, you walk into Disney and you go through the first gates and then there's like that front area. It's like this enormous lobby, right, where you see the big, whatever, the big building. There's a train going by. There's some beautiful flowers. And then there's another gate. There's like a second gate at Disneyland. So you go through the first gate and you look around like, wow, this is cool. This is amazing. But there's a second gate. And beyond that gate... Is all the rides, right? It's all the food places, is all the really good stuff. Okay. Where we sit today is in that lobby front area of Disney. It's better, it's good, there's beauty, there's things where okay, you can look at this front area and say, man, whatever's behind that gate's gonna be really good because this is pretty nice and we're not even fully in the park yet. That's so the kingdom of God is like Disney. There it is. Tweet it, okay? That what we see today with the kingdom here already is a glimpse of what is to come. Is a glimpse of what is to come. But we need to live in today in belief that we're already somewhat there. And begin to live lives that are crafted by that reality. We don't need to continue to live lives waiting for Christ to come the first time. And here's how we do that. 
Here's how we do that, and I think it's in Jesus' third part. He says, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe this good news. We live like Jesus never came every time you try and earn love from God. Every time that you sit in shame because of your sin, if you know Jesus, every time you sit in shame of your sin, you act like Jesus never came. Okay? Every time that you try and climb your way up this spiritual ladder, every time you leave church on a Sunday or you leave a, a spiritual event and think God loves you more because of it, you live as if Jesus never came. When we live in the reality that the kingdom is already here, there's kingdom benefits. The fact that Christ already came means, listen, the checklist is gone. You don't need to earn your way to God. He's not going to love you more because you showed up today. If you're his, you're his. Done. We need to be a people that stop living as if the first advent never happened is if we're still just waiting for something to figure this out. No, no, no. He came, and he's preached good news. And the good news is you no longer need to strive and toil to be his children. Just faith, just belief in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Okay, that's it. And I feel like this is, here's the thing. I feel like this story we talk about a ton here. Like, we're always talking about, you don't need to earn it. You don't need to earn it. God loves you. It's through Christ alone, through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Listen, it's all over the place. And yet, I feel like every week we need to keep saying it. Because every week I seem to have a meeting or a couple meetings or sit down or overhear some conversation where I just hear the opposite. We're maybe in our minds, cognitively, we're processing, okay, no, Christ came, it's good, I'm saved. But then, man, the moment it actually happens and you're living in this reality, you're ultimately just being people that, and so I do the same thing, listen, that we are being people that think that Christ never came. But he did. That is good news for us today. That we can be set free, we can be liberated, we can let go of the reins so tightly and live in this kingdom that Christ has begun. Okay. Repent and believe in the gospel, he says. I want us to think about it through this lens. We'll land here. What would this world look like? What would this world look like if the gospel, if the good news, if the reality of the kingdom already here, not fully raised, but already here, if that was actually a pervasive belief and lived out amongst the one, two billion Christians across the world. I want you guys to think through these issues. Think through, think through Ferguson and the kingdom of God. With Christ as king, what does Ferguson look like? Okay? What does, uh, what does ISIS in the Middle East look like right now in the kingdom of God as Christ is king? What changes? What looks different? Okay? How about these issues? What about hunger and poverty across the world? What happens in the kingdom of God? If the kingdom of God is here and its people, us, the citizens, lived in light of the fact that Christ has already arrived, this has drastic implications on the way that we love the world. What do these issues look like today? 
What does church planning in central China look like in light of the fact that Christ has come, the kingdom of God is here? What does pornography and sexual morality look like in the kingdom of God? What happens when Christ is king of our hearts, king of our cultures, king of our lives? What happens when we begin to live that out? What happens to our culture, what happens to our world, what happens to our country when the kingdom of God invades these sexual and moral issues across our country? What about human trafficking? What about privilege? What about division, both in the church and outside of it? What about uh, greed and money? And, and, and so what, what do these things look like in the new kingdom? What does Christ have to say about these things? I think we need to be better dreamers as a church and as Christians. We need to start thinking more. What would this issue look like if the kingdom of God invaded it? And if, it, if its people lived their lives based on the ethic of that kingdom? And we'll get more into that in the next few weeks. What changes? What changes for us? This last quote. Um, this is from Christina Christensen, the author and blogger. And I just love this, this quote. She's doing a reflection on Advent. And I want to land on it for us today. And I, I know there's been a bit of randomness, but I hope this kind of hems us all in today with what we desire to see happen in this season. Okay? She says this, I sigh with relief when I'm reminded that Advent isn't what so many of us think it is. We've been tricked by chocolate-filled Advent calendars and blissful Christmas pageants that gloss over the very real evil that makes the Messiah's coming so very necessary, so very loving, and so very heroic. Advent isn't a holiday party. It doesn't pressure us to conjure up a hopeful face, ring bells, and dismiss the foulest realities we face. Advent isn't about our best world, it's about our worst world. I think we eat chocolate and put on the pageants because we don't want to face the worst that this world has to offer. Advent is an invitation to plunge into the deep, dark waters of our worst world, knowing that when we resurface for air, we will encounter the hopeful, hovering Spirit of God. For when we dive into the depths of our worst world, we reach a critical point at which our chocolate and pageants no longer can satiate our longing for hope, and we are liberated by this realization. Indeed, the light of true hope can be found in the midst of darkness through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.